Uh, it can be really awkward to share our faith sometimes, to know where to start, what to say, how to say it. Uh, maybe you don't feel good enough. All those things that we've been covering over the last three weeks. We have discovered together that when you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, you discover by the working of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that every single one of us that have found Christ, that have received Christ for ourselves, personal Savior, that He has put on your life a very call, a very call and a commission to share Christ with the world around you. That when you've discovered the truth of the gospel, when you understand that you were outside of God's family, and then he lovingly and graciously gave himself on a cross for the sins of those that turned their back on God, he gave his, his life for the sins of those that would call out and say, please forgive me, that he, buried him, he was buried in a borrowed tomb and he rose again on the third day, and that anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in religion, not in a denomination, not in morality, not in trying to change your behavior by being a good person, but by trusting solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that you have been redeemed from your sin. You've been saved for eternity, forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future. And you now are set for his heaven, for his glory, and you have his peace, this side of heaven. And anyone that has received that gospel, now that you've tasted of eternal life and you are living in the eternal life, you have nothing other than a choice to say, I will surrender my life and share this faith with others. Share this truth with others because I've experienced what it is to be set free from sin. To find eternal peace and comfort. Not as the world gives, but as Christ only gives. He tells us in John chapter 14 through the working of his Holy Spirit. Man, our God is amazing. And he is amazing in his love for you. And he sent his son. And when you understand that and you receive that gospel. And you are forgiven of your sins. You have a call on your life. We talked about the fact that even when we understand we have a call in our life, it might be awkward to know where to start. Like, how do I even begin this whole thing? I really want to share my faith. I want to tell people about Jesus, but I don't really know where to begin. Well, the first place we have to start is understanding that you can share your faith, that God can use you no matter what mistakes you've made in your past. We looked at the life of the Apostle Paul, and we discovered that if there was anyone that made some huge errors against the church, some huge sins against the church, it was Paul. But God, in his amazing grace and restoration, saved him, redeemed him. And now he is set. Greatest persecutor of the church, now the greatest missionary for the church. God can use you no matter what you've done in your past. If you will repent of those sins and turn to him, he will use you to make his name known. It's amazing. But then once we understand that, once we understand I can be used by God, then where do I go? And we talked about this last week, that you just begin telling your story. You just begin telling people about how, how you were raised and how you grew up. I did a little thing on Facebook this week, if you didn't see that. I kind of did a little bit of a follow-up to the message from Sunday. And so if you haven't checked it out, click on there, check it out. It kind of a little bit more of a follow-up to what it looks like to tell your story. But we, last week we talked about you just start where you were. How did you grow up? What was your family life like? How did you come to know Christ? The people and the places and, and the way the word of God played a role in you coming to know Christ. How did Christ begin to change your life? And then your story continues to today as God is continually changing us. Someone said it last week, and I love it. One of the live testimonies you got to hear last week was that they said, man, I'm, a, I'm, a, a, I'm all under construction. That's what they said. I'm under construction. Anybody else praising God that we're under construction? That he is a patient and loving God who works with us when we get a little hard-headed? We think we're going to do it ourselves, we're going to do it our way. And his love and his grace is there to try to remind us, hey, you tried this before on your own. Don't you remember that? How'd that go for you? That's okay, you go try it on your own. I mean, he's always there for us. He's always working on us. Philippians uh, 1.6. We can be confident of this very thing, the Apostle Paul says, that he who began a good work in you, meaning God the Father began a good work in you when you receive Christ as your Savior, he says, will complete, will finish will perfect that work. One day he will finish the perfection that you will be. And right now we're just under, we're just working on us little by little. So if you're still under construction, don't beat yourself up. Be thankful that he's working with you. Be thankful that he's molding you and shaping you. Romans chapter uh, 8 talks about this idea of, of God working on us and shaping us and molding us. That amazing truth that we can see in God's word. We just start telling our story. 
It can be awkward to know how or when to share. But that is the wonder of the Spirit in us. Listen to his leading in moments of opportunity. When you have the chance to speak, speak. When he's given you an opportunity to say something, say something. I've said it before, in the modern church and in modern evangelism, there's this mindset that says, you don't have to actually tell anybody the gospel, just live a good example before them. Just live a Christ-likeness before them, and that will speak to them where they are. Now, I agree that for a lot of years in the church, it was more preaching than it was living. I agree with that. That there was a time where it was more about falling in line and doing this and doing that than it was about the heart of the gospel. And so a lot of Christians preached one thing on Sundays and lived something completely different Monday through Saturday. And it caused a lot of people in the world to kind of be turned off to the church. So I agree that, yes, we can't just speak it, we have to live it, but it's both. It's not one or the other. It's not, oh, no, no, I don't actually verbally tell anybody the gospel, I just live for Jesus. That's great. You're doing about half of what you're called to do. You're partially obedient to what God is calling you to do. Oh, no, I don't live the gospel. I just tell people what it means. But my life is my life. I can live how I want. Hmm, okay, partially obedient. And it's about living that Christ-likeness, but putting our words to our lives. It's about when God gives you the opportunity. What does Paul cry out to the local church and say, would you pray for me? And would you pray this one thing over me, that when I have a chance to speak, that I'll speak boldly for Christ? And Paul's asking the local church, would you pray for me that I'll say what I need to say? It's not just about living your life for Christ. It's about speaking for Christ when the opportunity comes. The key in sharing your story is to focus on the grace of God in your life. Not so much on if your story is good enough. We said this last week. Some of you were raised in a Christian home. You were saved at four, five, or six, and you weren't a drug dealer, murdering gangbanger. It wasn't you. Okay? You were like six years old. You grew up in church. You've been in church your whole life. You know every single Bible story, frontwards, backwards. Okay? You have all your Awana awards and Word of Life awards, whatever you grew up in, at home, on a shelf, in, or maybe in a box somewhere. Like you got it all. You just know it all. You were the best at sword drill. You could find those verses so fast. So when you hear somebody say, hey, would you share your story? You're like, I don't have a story. I've always been in the church. I'm not a, I've never been any, like this horrible person. I don't have a testimony. And then the other side of the coin is, you think your life was so messed up, you made so many horrible mistakes, you've lived so bad that you don't want to tell your story because it's too bad. No, no one would want to hear that. I mean, that's embarrassing. I don't want to tell people I, that's how I lived. And we discovered last week that it doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home or you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Whatever your story is and how God has saved you, redeemed you, and working in you, it's your story. And I told you last week, over time, the more we begin to share our story with the heart focused on his grace, guess what it becomes? It really becomes his story through us. So it's just about sharing what God is doing in your life, telling people how God is working. We are called to make disciples. And it starts by just in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your workplace, just opening your mouth and just sharing with others, building relationship and sharing the wonder that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, if we're being honest, it can feel overwhelming to make nations of, or make disciples of all nations. Did you ever think about this? Jesus told his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. If you ever wonder, man, how, how many is that? The next time the Olympics are around and they're doing the flag ceremony, just start counting the nations that go by just in that ceremony. And then you've got to step back and realize God wasn't speaking about even political nations. He wasn't saying like France and Germany and England and Venezuela. He was saying, no, no, nations there means families, ethnic groups. The way we would say today is people groups. So in one country, there may be various numbers of people groups. And Jesus said to his disciples, the 12, really the 11, then the 12 again, then 110. He says, go make disciples of all of that. 6,000 languages. Over 6,000 languages. Are you kidding me? How in the world are we in the MLA City, Goodland Township? How do I even begin to do that? It can feel very overwhelming. We start thinking that it's all on us. This morning we are discovering that evangelism and sharing our faith and making disciples is a team effort. It's a team effort. 
We talked last week about you telling your story. This week we're talking about the idea of a team effort in sharing our faith. You're in the book of Colossians. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. There's some names in here. I'm going to say them as I say them. You can say them however you want. (laughs) Whatever. We all know who we're talking about. So you just go ahead and have fun with it. Okay. So it says in verse 7. It says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salute Uh, saluteth you and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. Verse 11, and Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea uh, and them in Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. Let's pray. And I want to, after we pray, I'm going to, I want you to pray about this as we open up in prayer this morning. I want you to think about how am I plugged into a team effort to reach this world for Christ? How am I partnering with, how am I plugged into a team effort to reach this world for Christ? Maybe that's the local church. Maybe that's a missions agency or a missionary that's overseas and you're connected to them through financial support, prayer support. Maybe you're connected to another ministry here in the States that is doing great work to reach this world for Christ. I want you to think about this. How are you personally connected to teaming up with someone else or something else as far as a ministry to reach this world for Christ? And if the answer is, I don't think I really am, I'm not talking about casually. I'm saying it's actually something you're zealous for. You're connect- it's a team thing. And maybe you begin to pray about, God, how could you have me connect? How would you have me team up with, whether it be a local church, a missionary, or some ministry that I can be a part of that would serve this world for Christ? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you call us to make disciples. We are not sharing our story so that we are glorified. We're not telling people about how you saved us so that they would think how amazing we are. Father, I think there are so many churches, pastors, and even Christians that are more consumed with building their fame and building their kingdoms than they are about making you known. And I know, Lord, if we're all being honest, we can all be tempted with that pride. We can all be tempted to make it all about us, to make it about our story more than it is about your story in us. And so, Father, I pray that you give us great wisdom as we walk through this idea of teaming up with and working with and coming alongside other believers that we can partner together to reach this world for Christ. And what does that look like? The Holy Spirit, we pray that you give us great wisdom as we understand these truths today, that we would apply them to our lives, that we would live differently having known them than we did how we were living them when we came in here. Father, I pray you'd give me clarity of thoughts and help me to be focused on you. Thank you for all that you do, your love and your grace. And if anyone in this room, Lord, doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, maybe they've been to church their whole life. Maybe this is their first time or second time, third time even in a church. Wherever they are, Lord, I pray you'd speak to them and show them through the working of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word that they can know Christ today and be forgiven of their sins by just confessing with their hearts, crying out to you that they have sinned Receive the gift of salvation, believing you died on the cross, were buried, and rose again for them, and that they would surrender their life to you. Father, do all that you need to do in our midst this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
This passage shows us an amazing truth about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It was a team effort. We read all the great things that Paul did for the Lord, but we forget that he didn't do those things alone. This is huge. He did not do those things alone. Often on his mission endeavors, he was either with Barnabas or Silas, as well as others that worked with him, depending where he was ministering. We must never think that we are called to walk this Christian life alone. Rather, we are called to come alongside others and allow others to come alongside us as we share the amazing gospel of Christ with this world. A strong team of complementary components always wins. A strong team of of components that work together well. The strengths and the weaknesses that come alongside and make a stronger team. Many of you guys know here just the other night that Golden State Warriors won the NBA Finals. Some of you are like, I could care less. That's fine. This isn't so much about the Golden State Warriors. They've had a saying for the last four years. Strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. They say it all the time. Strength in numbers. And you wonder why three of the last four championships they've won. Because their mindset isn't about this all-star player that they have or this all-star talent. It's about, hey, it's about all of us working together as a team to accomplish a single goal that we set out in training camp, in preseason to accomplish. And they work together well. And it's amazing when you watch that team. One night, two guys, two of the best shooters in the NBA have the worst game of the entire finals. But they still won the game by a large amount because other players stepped up and did what was needed. Working together to accomplish a common goal. And there is a great similarity to what we're called to be as the church of Christ. We are called to work together. And I really believe one of the reasons we see so little, and I say so little meaning there's a lot being done for Christ in the world, but I think it's just scratching the surface of what's possible for Christ. So don't get me wrong. God is working all over the world. Amen. Things in Iran and China and Iraq and these places that supposedly Christianity is illegal, but the church is flourishing. How does that happen? Maybe God doesn't need the government to say it's legal to be a Christian to make the church grow. All these places, God is doing these great things, but I truly believe. I I know it's getting bad out there. I know it's getting dark. I know the culture is getting really worse. I don't believe for a second that God ever says in his word that when it starts getting really, really bad, you guys need to give up. I don't read that. In fact, he says, hey, as you see the day approaching, you know what you should be doing more of? Provoking one another unto love and to good works. Encouraging one another. Edifying one another to do this thing that I've called you to do as the church. He says, no, keep working together. Stronger unity. Stronger unity. Do you know why I think so little is being done of what could be done for Christ? Because there's so much division in his church. We are not working together. If anything, we are working in opposition to one another. It's more about, don't you take my people, than it is about, hey, let's just encourage each other to walk with Christ. And this is just in our world today. It's something that is so common. There's so much division in the church. And I've always said, how can we preach a God of peace and love and unity to a world when his churches are splitting and dividing every other week? It's just amazing to me. We don't see the hypocrisy there. And we've all experienced to some degree being a part of a church or a church family that went through something like that. Or you know someone that went through something like that. And it just crushes you, doesn't it? It just breaks your heart to know that his church is represented in such a negative way. But the Apostle Paul, if anything, demonstrated it's not about one man being the main star of the show. It's about working together as a team to elevate one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it takes a team. It takes a team because no one person can do it all. It is so simple, but we live as though we have to do it all. Well, what did Jesus model in ministry? Jesus didn't call one man to fulfill the Great Commission. He called his disciples, starting with 12 and then growing, to do the work of ministry. Paul recognizes his team here at the end of Colossians. He spends 10 or so verses just acknowledging all the people that are involved in this ministry to this church at the Church of Colossae. At the conclusion of almost all of Paul's letters, not all of them, but almost all of them, 
he acknowledges those that are serving with him in the local church. Let me just stop right here and tell you this. If you are not plugged into either our local church or a local church, I'm telling you right now, you are robbing yourself of the opportunity you have to make a huge difference in this world for Christ. Lord, the Lord told us, look, this, this church thing I'm starting, this is going to be the catalyst of change in the world. And I met so many Christians that try to do it on their own and try to go through struggles on their own and trials on their own and we'll just get through and we'll just be okay. And you're completely missing out on the joy and the peace and the love and the comfort that comes from being connected to a local body of Christ. They can come alongside you and lift you up. I can't tell you how many times I've had the worst day of my life and I get a call from someone in the church or a text from someone in the church or a card. And it just changes my whole perspective to know there are people praying for me. We get the blessing of praying for the Raymond family today as a church. Pray for God to come to them and guide them. The funeral is going to be here Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. And we get the blessing of being the church to them. I, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to be connected to something like that. I want to be connected to global change for Christ. And it's happening through this local church. So if you're not connected to a local church, I'm telling you, you need to be. Can you be saved and not go to church? Yeah. You can be a Christian, a follower of Christ, acknowledge that Jesus is Savior, leave him into your life, and never walk into a church setting. Because we don't come to church because we have to to be saved. We can be saved and never walk into a church. So why do I go? Because I want to be with the body of Christ. I want to worship him. I want to elevate him. I want to serve the body of Christ. I've said it before. When you read about the spiritual gifts given in, in Corinthians and Romans, do you know the context by which Paul was writing? He said, all of these things are happening in and through the local church. And then you meet Christians and say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You can be a Christian and not go to church, but apparently you can't fulfill your spiritual gift if you're not in a local church. That's what Paul seemed to suggest. That's not me, that's Paul. Now, how is God encouraging you to be connected to and plugged into the local church? Here in Colossians, he lists 10 teammates. <coughs> 10 teammates that are serving with him in the local church. I'm just going to run down these real quick. I'm going to give you the name, kind of what they did, at least best tell based on this scripture and other scriptures, to give you an idea of how this team affected Paul's ministry in reaching the world for Christ. So the first one he mentions is Tychicus. This, he says he's a dear brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant. Apparently he's a messenger, an encourager for the Apostle Paul and for the church. We read about Onesimus. Many of you know his story from the book of Philemon. If you've not read that, very small book, I encourage you to read that. It's about the story of the life of Onesimus to some degree. Onesimus was also faithful and dear to Paul going with others to deliver this very letter. Aristarchus, he's in prison with Paul on behalf of the ministry. Mark, also a teammate of Paul's. We know from other New Testament writings as Mark, who joined Paul on his first missionary journey, but abandoned him soon after the first city. So Paul's team was like teams we have been on. There are people you have some friction with. Anybody ever have friction with somebody you were on a team or a group with? Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, how many of you would rather work alone than work on a team because you know there's going to be friction? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. You ever have that group in school? Remember junior high? You get paired up with two kids to do a project. What's the first thing the team decides? Who's really going to do all the work? There's three of us. One of us is probably really smart. The other two, eh. So rather than all three of us coming together, we'll pick the kid that seems to get the good grades I'm using that term. There's other words you may have used in junior high that aren't very nice. Don't say those things. You identified that person, labeled that person as one of these kind of people. And that poor kid got what? Everything dumped on him. You two goofed off the whole time. That kid's doing all the work. The teacher comes over and says, are you done? And you look at the kid and go, are you done? That's what it's like to be on a team sometimes. You're either the one goofing off, not paying attention to what's going on, or you're the one doing all the work. That's for that reason alone. Many of us are like, I'd rather do this thing alone. I think I'll get it, better done, get it done right. I ain't got to deal with people. But I'm telling you, although, yes, there's friction and sometimes tension with other people you work with, I'm promising you the joy that comes from working together is so much greater than working alone. Now, there are times when we work alone in the work of Christ. Individually, we're in our devotional life. Individually, we're in our prayer time. Individually, we're serving in a certain way. But we're doing it knowing I'm connected to this bigger team, this team effort that's going on to reach this world for Christ. 
Here, John Mark, or Mark as Paul calls him, had their tensions, had their struggles. But clearly, Paul and Mark worked it out. Maybe there are people in, in your church, in this church, that you struggle to get along with at times in the past. Maybe you look around the room and you have tension with someone in this very room. Can I tell you that's normal? That's what it means to be a human being. That's what happens when a lots of people with different gifts are all on the same team. Different talents, different personalities. But in a successful team, listen to what one author said. In a successful team, people find a way to work together and bury the hatchet. And one of the benefits of not discarding Mark is that he wrote one of our gospels. When Paul and Barnabas were going on their next journey, Barnabas said, hey, let's bring John Mark. And Paul said, I don't want anything to do with him. He, he abandoned us before. He'll leave us again. He's not trustworthy. He's not reliable. Barnabas said, okay, that's fine. Then we'll split ways. I'll take him and you take Silas and we'll go two different ways doing the same work. And here we read, years later, apparently, Paul had realized his error and said, no, 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 no. Man, Mark is valuable to the ministry. Mark is important. He understood he was being prideful and arrogant and he swallowed that down. And Mark was used by God to do great things. Another person he mentions here is Barnabas. He's only referred to here as Mark's cousin, but Barnabas was Paul's first traveling companion on the first journey. We'll talk more about him uh, next week. We're going to do a whole talk on the life and person of Barnabas as, as his role played into the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Number six, he talks about a, nan, a man named Jesus, or also called Justice. Probably because it was confusing to be called Jesus after the Jesus came. Another co-worker for the kingdom of God who brings comfort to Paul. Epaphras, a guy from Colossae who is, quote, always wrestling in prayer for you. I love that phrasing. And I love the role that he plays in constantly praying for his hometown. Man, I've said it before. I'll say it, I'll say it again. I'll always say it. Prayer is not the least you can do. Praying is not the least you can do. It's almost like missionaries come through and say, hey, if you can't give me any money, pray for me. Almost like that's, well, if you're not going to do anything else, just pray for me at least. Man, the greatest thing you can do for another person is pray for them. Literally. And you might think, oh, come on. I'm not really doing anything. No, you are talking to the very God of all creation to intercede and to interact in that person's situation and to do what they can't do. You are doing huge things for them in their life. Don't ever let the enemy or your flesh convince you that you're just praying for them. No, no, no. You are doing so much more than that. Here, the Apostle Paul acknowledges this man because he was constant in prayer. What does James tell us about Elijah? He was a man of like passions, the Bible says. You know what that means to be a man of like passions? He was messed up just like us. That's what it means. Elijah had just as many problems as you do, maybe even more. His are just in a book that we read for eternity. By the way, how would you like to be that guy? Your one mistake, two mistakes that you make in your life of ministry for Christ is written down in a book that thousands of years later people are reading about you. That's what I want. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It says Elijah was a man of like passions, but yet he prayed. He was fervent in his prayer. And what does James say about fervent prayer? It's effective prayer. You know what it means? You pray and you keep praying. And you keep praying. But I don't know if God's listening. You keep praying. I don't know if God's going to do it. You keep praying. And you say, God, I believe you can do all things. Here's my unbelief. And you keep praying. And you believe God's going to do it. And you keep praying. And but then here's the thing you got to remember. As you're praying fervently and you're praying for God to do this great work, you need to remember one thing. He's God and you're not. And so you say, God, I believe you can do this. I believe this is in agreement with your will. I believe this is in agreement with your word. I believe this will bring you glory and honor. I believe this is for you. But I'm not a sovereign God like you are. I don't understand all things as you do. So I'm going to pray your will be done. Sometimes today people say, well, you should never pray that. You should, that's doubt. How is it doubt to tell a holy and just and sovereign God, I'm not you. Maybe you have something better figured out that I can't understand in my finite brain. So I'm praying this in faith, but I'm also going to allow you to be God in this moment. How is that doubt? That's not doubt. If anything, I think that's a greater faith. Because you're saying, God, I trust you no matter what. What did the Hebrew teens say standing five feet from a fiery furnace? We will never bow down to you. Our God can deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't deliver us from this fire, we will never worship your image. 
Man, that's what I want my prayer life to look like. God, I believe you can deliver me from this fiery furnace, but if you so choose for me to go through it, I know you go through it with me, and I'm going to trust that you're going to get me through this. And you'll be glorified. And what did Jesus say? You can ask anything in my name, and I will do it. So I'm going to pray, as we talked about last week, for that $54 million private jet, right? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Listen to last week's message. You'll, you'll learn all about it. I'm going to ask for a million bucks because in Jesus' name, he's got to do it. I said it in his name. He said he'll do anything I ask for in his name. Man, you know, God says no when it's the best thing for us to hear no. What does James say? James, you ask for these things to consume your lust? I'm not doing that. Why would I give you that? It's just going to draw you away from me. I'm not going to do that. Man, we need to pray and keep praying and keep praying. I love that phrase. He's always wrestling in prayer. You know why he says wrestling there? Because sometimes to pray, it's like a wrestling match. And you might think, I know, Satan, he's such a jerk. I'm not even talking about Satan. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about my flesh. I'm talking about when I know God is leading me to pray for something, and my flesh is like, you don't want to pray for that. No, what are you going to do? You can't do nothing about that. Come on, let it go. And that war is raging inside you. You know what I'm talking about? And you're not wrestling with this external force. You're wrestling in here. And it's not even you really wrestling. It's the Holy Spirit wrestling for you. And it's that back and forth. No, no, I need to be focused on him in prayer. Quickly, number eight, he mentions Luke, the doctor, who recorded the life of Jesus and the early church and coincidentally wrote more words in our New Testament by writing the books of Luke and Acts than Paul wrote when you combine his 13 letters. Listen to that again. Luke wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. And if you add up all the things he wrote, all the words he wrote, and all the words that the apostle Paul wrote in his 13 letters, Luke wrote more in content, meaning words, than Paul did. But man, we, we really know Paul. A lot of us don't know much about Luke. Well, he was a disciple, I think, and I think he was a doctor. Man, listen, Paul's recognizing Luke as saying he was vital to what we're doing here. Demas. Apparently, this man was traveling with Paul, but unfortunately we know from a letter Paul wrote to Timothy later in life that Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You can read that in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. So here he's talking about Demas in a positive light. Man, he's come alongside me, but 2, Peter, or 2 Timothy tells us what? He even abandoned Paul. Do you know why I wanted to make sure I mentioned that? Because it's encouraging to remember that even the great apostle Paul and his great leadership, spirit-led ministry, still had people that walked away from him. Do you know why I tell you that? Because you're going to work with people, come alongside people, and be doing everything seemingly right, and they may choose to just walk away. And you might be tempted to beat yourself up. What did I do? I should have done more. I could have done something different. No, 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 no. Paul says, man, Demas just loved this present world more, and it pulled them away. So even the great apostle Paul had those that left and would not follow his leadership. Number 10, we read about Nympha, uh, this is the first woman on the list who had a home so large, the church used it for meeting, and she likely then was a leader in the church. We read about this often in the New Testament where they met in homes for church. And often they would have a whole separate room in the house that was only used for the church. Now, obviously, you fast forward into the 300s and so, and you start seeing these great churches being built. And all these things taking place as the church begin to spread and grow. But I love that Paul acknowledges even those that just opened up their doors to the church. He saw them just as important. So when you take it as a whole, we see Paul's ministry team, which was focused on spreading the good news of Jesus all across the Mediterranean, included people who are in constant prayer, people who are opening their home for others to meet at, people who travel with Paul and keep him safe, people who move the letters that Paul writes all around the various cities. Without any one of these people... These incredibly important jobs would not be fulfilled, and Paul's ministry as the world's greatest missionary would not have been successful. There is no difference today on our mission fields, here or overseas. It takes a team of people gifted in various ways to spread the message of Christ to the world. So how has God gifted you to plug into a team? How has God given you an ability or a talent or a love or a desire to plug into a team where you can serve? You can connect, and you can see the gospel go forth. In the Word of God, we see three models of evangelism, three different types of evangelism in the Bible. 
And I want to kind of walk through these real quick as a kind of a summary of what we've been talking about over the last four weeks. Three models of evangelism in the Bible. The first model we see of evangelism is everyone an evangelist. Everyone an evangelist. This is that one-on-one model that we talked about last week that takes place when we share our story with someone. God has gifted you with salvation. God has given you salvation. He has redeemed you from your sins. He has given you his Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation to indwell you, take up residence in your life. And then he gives you his word. And do you know what we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else? We need to know him personally and be known by him through salvation. We need his Holy Spirit to give us the boldness, the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to do what we need to do and say what we need to say. And we need his word to know what we're supposed to tell them. So guess what? As a follower of Christ, you have everything you need from God to share your faith right now. Right now. Everyone an evangelist. When you study the New Testament and you read the New Testament, the ideal situation, the normal Christian in the New Testament, every disciple makes disciples. It's so funny to me. I, I heard a speaker say it years ago, and I often say this. When you read the book of Acts or read New Testament books and it's talking about all these great things the church is doing, if they put your life in there, if they just put your life in the book of Acts and they're reading, somebody's reading all these great things that God is doing and all these great ways that God is moving and saving all these people and they got to your life after story after story of sacrifice and giving and, and surrender and all these things and they get to your life and they read a short couple words about your life, would your life fit as flowing just normally through the text or would your life stand out as not normal to what everyone else is doing? My point is, man, we need to understand that everyone making disciples, every disciple making a disciple, that's the normal. But what we do in Christianity today is when a disciple maker is making disciples and living for Christ and on fire for him, we start to elevate that person. Oh, I could never be like them. Oh, I wish I could be like them one day. And we start treating that as like this radical Christianity. When people get outside of of apathy and indifference, they start living for Christ. Oh, man, they're on fire for Jesus, as though it's the abnormal way to be a Christian. But when you read this book, and just read page after page of Christian after Christian, that the normal was to step out and be on fire for Christ, to live for him, to speak for him. No concern for their own safety, well-being, possessions. And it was all about Jesus. That's not abnormal Christianity. That's Christianity. And we've changed it to make it more suitable and palatable for us. Just go to church and nod your head at the sermon. Three amens, a couple hallelujahs, and you go home. Praise God. Amen. Man, we've, we've tamed it down so much to where it's just this, we're just going through the motions. And we get up in the morning, we're like, ah, oh, got to go to church again. Man, I, I've been there. You know, the first thing I think of when I think, oh, I got to go to church, I think, no, 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 no. Man, I get to worship with this amazing church. And it's not because, we're not amazing because of who's in this room right now. I mean, Sandra makes it pretty good, but that's not why we're amazing. Those of you that are visiting, Sandra's my wife. If you're like, that was weird. <laughs> why is he talking about someone named Sandra? It's my wife, okay? Okay, all right. When you think about getting to come together with the body of Christ and just worship him and just praise him and just exalt the name of Christ and serve one another, man, I am so thankful. You know, right now, as you're all sitting in this room right now, there are workers and servers in classrooms ministering to your children and grandchildren so you could sit in here and worship. And they're not babysitting over there, by the way. They're loving on those kids, teaching them the things of God, instructing them in the things of God, making disciples, not because they want two and three and five-year-old friends. Okay? Those in junior church don't need second grade friends. Okay, that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they love, they love you. They love those kids. And they want to invest in them because they believe God is using their gifts and talents to serve the local church. Man, I don't know if there's anything better than being with the body of Christ. Everyone an evangelist. This has been the majority of our focus in the series so far, helping all of us to realize that we can make disciples today. That's one of the models in Scripture. Another model we see is intentional evangelism. This is the two-by-two model that we see Jesus demonstrating when he sent out his disciples in the Gospels. This idea is seen also in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. It says two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. 
If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. See, this is the idea of that working together, partnering up with another person. So here's an example. When you're having a cookout and inviting neighbors, maybe invite another couple from the church to work together with you. Now, you don't tell the whole group, hey, these guys are from church, and we're going to be teaming up to witness to you today. (laughs) Thank you for coming. Here's their name tags. Okay. Hello, my name is whatever. We're going to share the faith. No, no, no. It's that you're intentionally thinking, okay, what's an environment that I can invite another couple or two other couples to that they can, I know they'll be thinking ahead and thinking together about, man, we need to share Christ with these people. It's that intentional evangelism. It's that two-by-two mindset. Maybe if you go to the gym, which is a mission field, by the way, as every other place in your life is, you can invite someone to church to work out with you so that together you can be thinking about how can we share Christ in this mission field. This is the idea of intentional evangelism, going out with the purpose of sharing the message of Jesus with others and bringing along a companion to help. It's so vital. And to be honest, it's a lot less awkward when we can witness with backup. I love that. Witness with backup. Makes it less awkward. Makes it easier to have someone with you. When we used to do, uh, we used to do more of a traditional idea of soul winning, going out, they call it knocking doors. Okay, some of you maybe grew up in churches or went to churches where you went out and knocked doors. You want to talk about awkward. You show up with someone else at a door of someone you don't know at 545, 6, 6.30 on a Monday night as they're sitting down for dinner and you're like, hi, can I tell you about Jesus? And they just got home from work. I've had so many doors slammed in my face. I've been run off property. Uh, I tell the story that Greg and I were out one night and we pulled in this guy's driveway and I got out of the car. He got out of the car and this guy came out and said, I'm already writing down your license plate. If you don't get off my property, I'm getting my gun. I looked at Greg. I said, well, time to go. Let's get in the car, okay? <laughs> now, of course, as we're pulling out, what do I see plastered at both ends of the driveway? No trespassing. Private property. Okay? I was like, well, I wish I would have saw that. There's another story about me and Greg being out where we saw a bear, but we won't get into that. I, I, I thought it was a bear. He tells me it's a dog, but it was pretty large. And it, <laughs> I knew something was up when we are walking towards the house, and I hear just the sound of Greg turning around. I look back, and he's very quickly walking to the car. And I was like, where are you going? And he gets in the car. Then he, after he gets in the car, he points. And I turn around, and there's a black bear. That I swear it was a black bear on a leash. And I thought, thanks, Greg. Thanks. So anyway, we've all been on those experiences. And it's awkward to share your faith sometimes. But I'm telling you, if you go with someone and you're partnered with someone who's like-minded, man, it is so much more uh, comfortable. It's easier. It's less awkward. And you got that support system that you need. Sometimes when I would be with somebody as they're sharing their faith, I'm just praying most of the time. If I'm not the one saying anything, I'm just praying. I'm not like this. Okay, you don't have to do the motions. But I'm just silently, while I'm looking right at them, I'm praying in my heart and my mind, God, give them strength. Give them the words. Give them the wisdom. Soften this person's heart. All those things that we can do. We did this in college often, going out in pairs to invite people out to church or to a common area where our drama team from school was doing some dramas. And uh, trying to engage people in conversation. However it looks, you can do this. Maybe you work with another believer at your job site. Then maybe you just go to that person and say, hey, will you help me? Will you help me share my faith? And let's maybe work together. How can we share our faith? And you start praying together as, as two individuals or maybe a small group trying to figure out how you can reach that place for Christ. So one-on-one evangelism, everyone an evangelist. Intentional evangelism, that's the two-on-two method. And lastly and quickly, everyone working together. Church evangelism. Church evangelism. What I mean by church evangelism is where we plug into an outreach event or an activity right here in our local church. And last Saturday, we had a great example of that, right? Last Saturday, our church hosted a park and sell event where we had almost 40 vendors that came out to our church and sat up on our parking lot. People that weren't even connected to our church. And you know what's amazing? People in our church were all on their own, just as they were sitting next to a person that wasn't from our church, just starting to engage them in conversation and share about them, about what God is doing in their life and God is doing in our church. And things like that happen all the time. You can get plugged into an event here at the church, and maybe that's how God's going to use you and your gifts to start sharing your faith. That idea of church evangelism, just plugging in and being connected, being always ready and willing to give a word for the hope that lies in you. Just by people from our church being at that event last weekend, Serving and selling their own things. 
there were conversations with others, and it was so cool to see and hear of people in our church sharing their faith and the love for the Lord and our church. See, whether it's everyone in evangelist, one-on-one, you're doing this thing at work on your own, or you're doing this in your community, or maybe you're with one other person. And by the way, if, if your spouse is a Christian, then that's the best person you can team up with. Maybe together as a husband and wife, you begin praying about, God, how would you use us and our family to reach this community for Christ? God, I know that we're going to be kind of different than our neighbors because we're not going to do and say and live in the way that they do, and that's okay. We're not trying to be better than them. We're just trying to be followers of Christ. And so how can our family, starting with mom and dad, how can we partner together to share our faith? And then how can I plug into a local church or a ministry where I can use my gifts and talents to see Christ glorified and his gospel preached? The key is, in conclusion, you are not an island and cannot do what God has called you to do without a team. You are not an island. Even when we are sharing our faith one-on-one, we still need the team for support and encouragement. When we get discouraged, or as the Bible says, we get weary in well-doing. Man, I don't know about you, but I've been weary before. And I'll get weary again. And I'll get tired, and I'll start convincing myself I'm not really doing anything. Remember we said it before, a lot of churches preach what? Get results. Get results get results. And when you're not getting the results, you're sharing your faith and you're sharing your faith and no one's receiving it. And you're just like, oh man, it must be me. God never called you to save anyone. God never called you to convert anyone. He just said, you just go tell them about me. You just be faithful in the telling and let me do the working on their heart. So maybe you're not getting the results. You're not seeing those things happen in your life and you're just kind of feeling discouraged. Man, isn't it great to partner with a team like a local church that come alongside and say, hey man, no, you're doing it. You're doing it. And I'm so, man, I'm here for you. Encouraging us to keep going. We want you to know that North Goodland, this local church, is here for you. If there is anything that our church, our leadership can do to help you in sharing your faith, please talk to us, communicate us. Let us know how we can partner with you in a more intimate sense. The three models of evangelism is not meant as a pick one idea. All three can and should be a part of our life as the Lord leads. It's not like, well, I share my faith one-on-one, so I don't need to be connected to a church. Or I'm doing church evangelism, so I don't need to do the one-on-one thing. No, 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 no. It's not one or. It's all of them involved in our lives as we're focused on Christ, using us to make his name known. And so I want to do this. I know that's a lot of information this morning, but I want to do this as we close and have a time of prayer. I want to ask you, how is God using this in your life? How is God speaking to you right where you are? And here's what I want to do. If you know Christ is your Savior, you've personally received Jesus Christ into your life, then however God is speaking into your life, then you need to respond to that. And just in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, which is where we give you an opportunity to come and step forward away from the group and just kind of spend a time maybe with, with mom and dad. You want to come and pray for your family, pray for each other, pray that you'll partner together in sharing this thing, this, this gospel. Maybe you want to come as an individual and just say, God, help me to not feel defeated because of the sins in my past. Help me to know that you can use me right where I am and that I can get plugged into a team and start being used by you for your glory. However God is speaking, would you respond to him in just a moment, whether they're in your seats, as the band's going to come in just a moment and lead us in a song, maybe they're in your seats or here at the altar. You want to bend a knee and say, God, I'm ready. I believe you can do great things, greater things in this community to reach people for Christ. And I'm going to ask you to do those greater things because I believe prayer is powerful. And you want to come and just spend a moment in prayer. But maybe you're here this morning and and you don't know Christ. You've never personally received him for yourself. And all this stuff I've been saying, you're like, I don't really get all this. I don't get why I would even want to do all those things. Why would I want to go out and tell people my story? What does that even matter? Listen, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you on a cross. And that he died on that sinner's cross and that if you will put your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, that he says he will save you for eternity. He will hold you in his hand and he will walk with you and give you peace and love and joy and comfort. And there will be struggles. There will be trials. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean everything gets easy. That all problems go away. That the check account's always full. Oh, everything's good all the time. No, 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 that's not real life. That's not the world we live in. But the beautiful thing about being a follower of Christ is when I go through those rough times, I never go through them alone. And when I'm at the heights of the mountains and just enjoying those great blessings of God which come, or whether I'm in the valley, 
and I'm going through that just everyday, real-life, mundane stuff. He is with me, and he is comforting me, and he is lifting me up, and he can do that for you as well. And if you don't know Christ, maybe you would come this morning and bend a knee and say, God, I just, I just, I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to believe that you did these things for me, and I'm going to ask you to save me as I surrender my life to you. However God is leading, would you respond to him? Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer? As the band comes and leads us in a time of invitation, I'm going to ask that you would just respond to him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed right there where you are. How is God speaking to you this morning? Is he challenging you maybe to get connected to that local church, to get plugged in, to use your gifts and talents? However God is speaking, would you just respond to him? Would you allow him to lead you? We're going to stand in just a moment. And we're going to do something a little different, actually, this morning. I totally forgot about this. We're going to have just a time of music with no singing. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in just a moment. And you just respond to him, whether they're in your seats or you want to come forward. Father, would you lead, guide, and direct in all these things? Would you speak to us this morning, Lord? Help us to realize that it's part of your global purpose that we share our faith, that others may know the freedom that they can experience, the forgiveness of sins, and that they may spend eternity with you in your heaven. Father, you tell us in your word that if we would die in our sins, that we will spend eternity in a place called hell a real, literal place. But you love us so much, you've given us an opportunity that if we would receive your grace, that we would be rescued from that and set for your glory. Would you speak to us this morning? We love you. In Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet? Maybe you just keep your head bowed right there where you are as you stand. Just continue to pray. And seek him as have just a short time of invitation with your heads bowed. Just continue to speak, seek him. If you want to come, would you come and pray?